Hey, it's Arrow. PodFest brings together three different conversations. Musicians, authors, to doctors, environmentalists, or even cooks in their own kitchen. It's real people with real stories. PodFest 44 features Mike Score from the fan favorite, A Flock of Seagulls. Then we'll concentrate on being real as we compare paths with author Adam Resnick. And we'll wrap things up with Adam Thorne and Rob Oliva, a couple of actors from the History Channel's King of Pain. This is PodFest 44. We are unplugged and totally uncut with Mike Score from A Flock of Seagulls. I'm doing really good. How are you? Absolutely fantastic. Dude, you are the very reason why I discovered Moose and Aquanet. My hair, and, and, and <laughs> nobody saw me in radio, but damn if I wasn't going to look like A Flock of Seagulls. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> it's a big thing. <laughs> I, I got something to hide. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, this this new album is so mind blowing in the way that were you meditating during this? Because there's a many places in in these songs where I feel like that it's like you took off and you said, "Come along, I want you, I want you to come with me." Oh, I hope that happens in every song I write. You know, because you i mean i write songs for me and if they connect emotionally with somebody that's listening uh even slightly then the song is a a good song and that's you know then you're with me we're all going in the same direction well, well look at what you do with with love overture i mean i mean it's 47 seconds of music but it's enough for me to say i i got to go to the next song there there's there's something here that i'm going to experience yeah, lead you on. That's the it thing. Does. Bring you in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was shocked though to read that there's eight different versions of the song "Say You Love Me." I, I, I mean, it's, it's like, I mean, that's what I love about modern day music today. It can go anywhere. Yeah, and only eight. Only. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I could sit here for one day in my studio and do eight different versions of anything. You know, so. Uh, you're lucky it's only eight. Maybe it's six to four. I don't know. Now, but yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a, a, a way to do songs, you know. Just, oh, I want to change this. I want to change that. So suddenly eight versions. See, and I thought I was insane when I do that because what I'll do is I'll put down the name of the song and then I'll go one, two, three. And I go back and I listen to every one of them. They're, they all have their own personality because it was whatever the mindset was in the, in the moment being in the studio. Yeah, exactly. And that today, that's what you can do. I think in the old days... You know, you had to make a decision and stick with it. But today, you don't have to make a decision at all, you know, because it's all digital. You can change anything at any time. You know, it's great. I love it. Well, I love the way that with the song Say You Love Me, man, this thing, the hook of the song is right off the bat. I mean, you you wasted no time to get me hooked in and singing right along. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, that's the that's the way a great pop song is, right? I think it's a, it is a great pop song, even though it's an older song. Uh, it's been refreshed and it does catch you straight away. Is it kind of freaky for you when a song like that, because you know, when, when art happens now, it doesn't mean that it has to be right now, but when you rediscover it in the future, it's like, oh wow, I was speaking to my future self. Uh, no, I think, I think what it is, is uh, when I wrote that song, that's how I felt. And when the song was redone like this, I was like, I remember how I felt when I wrote this song. And it, it's still carrying the same message, the same feeling, you know. So uh, I think if you're a, just a normal person, you're going to feel that as well. You know, you're going to go, oh, yeah, I remember how that felt, you know. 
Now I got I got to ask you about um um I I ran so far away and the reason why is because back at, back in the 1980s when I was a jock doing seven to midnight I love that you gave us room to talk on the radio but as an adult now I'm disappointed with myself because now that I hear the entire orchestration and respect the orchestration I feel like I wasted listeners times by being a jock what did you feel knowing that jocks were talking over your song intros. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's, okay. you know, whatever people do is what they do. You know, the more, I'm more interested in the people that put the song on, put the headphones on or whatever, and listen to it that way, or they go to a club and it's pounding and they listen to it that way. Um, as long as it, like you say, draws them into the song and they experience that little story for three or four minutes, that is where we want to be. Wouldn't you say, though, that A Flock of Seagulls helped usher in the real EDM movement? Because the way that your beats were, I mean, it was like, if you compare them to today's beats, it's like, wait a second, there's got to be a connection to A Flock of Seagulls here. I think so, yeah. Uh, I think, you know, that my my brother was a, a real pounding drummer, you know? Not complicated, but something so i think that's why people would like in the 80s would dance to iran and space yeah. age and i think that carried through as the people as their the their kids or whatever moved into edm after listening to that they went you know this is the kind of beat we want you know the the heavy drum beat and uh you know when you're into dancing and and stuff like that yeah yeah get that big beat and whatever you put on top of the electronics or whatever a catchy vocal and that's what people are going to dance to they don't dance to the lead singer they dance ah. to the drums <laughs> speaking of catchy things the story of a young heart this one has a very big global appeal to it were you thinking global when you were putting it together uh you mean on the the, the orchestral album yes absolutely uh, always thinking global yeah. you know i never think of uh uh, when I write, I think of me. After it's written and it's recorded, the world has to hear it. So, yeah, we're thinking global, uh, but still personal, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. You know, because the, the story of a young heart, people should understand. If yeah. it's done in a, mass, a massive way, that's fine. If it's done in a tiny way. That's a different thing altogether. Have you have you ever gone back to to share the stories of the experience? And and the reason why I bring that up is because my last two works of uh, music, I went back there and and I felt like that I was you know interrupting somebody else's interpretation. But I wanted people to know why the song was written, why I chose as 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 a producer inside that studio to do what I do. I I want to hear your story of of why you took chances on it. Uh. Which are you talking about? Specific song or the just, album? Just any song, because I mean, I mean, even if we went back to Iran, and I just to hear your 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 version of why the song was laid out and 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 why this happened in a song. It says, "I'm so addicted to the story." Share your story, or someone um, will write it for you. Okay, so Iran was uh, we had a little rhythmic thing going at rehearsal, uh, and then we went somewhere, and I saw a picture which was a flying saucer chasing two people, something from the 50s. And I went, I went, what a great, um, what a great picture. That would make a great cover, you know. And so not only that, things happened to me in like twos. We'd also just seen a band called Fisher Z or Fisher Z. And they had a song called I Ran and it, it was a, their standout song. So we're like, we've already got a title. Now we have a, a cover for our single or whatever. 
you know, all in the back of our minds kind of thing. So we went back to rehearsal. And with that picture in mind and that title, it simply became I ran. And then I had to make up a story about why I ran, you know. Yep. Um, and that was it. It was the flying saucer chasing the people and the flying saucer coming into view and the Aurora Borealis, which, you know, um, we we were talking and I was like, I wonder if I could fit that in the lyrics, <laughs> you know, and and everyone, once I'd done it, people went, how did you do that? How did you fit Aurora Borealis? And uh, <laughs> that's the kind of thing that makes me laugh sometimes because it's like, I shouldn't be that did happen, you know. So with, with the... It, it, with, with I was the, gonna say, but it gave a great visual of the song. Oh, it absolutely did. And then when you put it on MTV, it even gave it more uh, visual, and and then people became attracted yeah. to it. So it, you know, so are you going to put this album out there in the way that you guys will travel from city to city, working with local orchestras, or or because I want to see this live. I want to experience this album live. I would. I'd love to do it, but uh, we didn't have anything like that for Ascension. Although there were talk, there was talk about it. Um, I'd love to do it, even if it's, say, two or three, you know, with a full orchestra doing that. Um, I don't know how it would be put together. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it would be great to do. I'd love to stand there with my synth and watch an orchestra do all this stuff to my, you know, to say you love me or something like that. So uh, let's hope. I'd hope so. Well, even that song, Never Again. I mean, you talk about a song that's got some great up-tempo-ness. This one's going to be a big hit for you guys they, because, it, because of the tempo. Mm-hmm. Never again the dancer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, again, it's a it's a song just about how I felt at the time, you know. And I, what I do is I have a little feeling, and then I try and make a little story around that. And never again was one of those, you know. I'm walking through the city on my own, dancing on my own. It's like, why am I like this, you know? The, what a, what a work of art! You got to come back to this show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you, sir. Uh, oh, wow. Thank you. <laughs> well, you be brilliant today, okay? Okay. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye. How many times have you walked through everyday life thinking, man, I'm just an oddball freak that doesn't fit in. My brothers and sisters drive me crazy. I don't want to participate with this or that. And you hold it all in. So what would happen if you sent back to those that request so much from you? Will not attend. That's what Adam Resnick did. We are unplugged and totally uncut. I love a book that really paints reality. And this is one of those books that you can't put down because you feel like that. Adam, it's like you're spying on me. Are you stalking me? Because this book is so yeah. real. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I know. Painfully real at times, I guess. <laughs> but that's what's so fascinating about being a writer is that opportunity where even though it's almost like the author understands that we all don't live the same. I mean, we all don't live individual lives. It's the same life. Yeah, for a lot of people, I think that's true. There's, uh, yeah, a lot of similarities in the in the way people uh, grow up. For you to to write a book like this, in all the things that you've done, was it something that you set out to do several years ago, or you or you were just pasting through some uh, uh, some journals? You went, wait a second, there's a better story in my personal experiences. No, you know, I think it came out of just uh, working in. Uh, 
in television and, and in movies that uh, things never come out the way that you had hoped, you know, when you write the script. And uh, I was getting tired of that. And uh, I had been, you know, in the back of my mind wanting to write a book for a while, but you always just keep putting it off. But once I finally decided to do it, it was uh, it was the, the you know, the, the greatest creative experience I had because it was just purely just mine. It didn't have to be turned into another product. And when things had to be turned into another product, whether it's a TV show or a movie, that's, you know, usually where the erosion process uh, begins. And uh, this is something that I could keep, you know, I, I had control of it. I could, I, I could uh, make sure that that didn't happen, at least, you know, for me. I, it, 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 but uh, anyway, yeah, so it was, it was, you know, it was something that I've been thinking about for a long time. And, uh, and uh, I thought I finally did it. Was it fascinating to be able to write your own rules, to be able to? I always call that the Hemingway. And, and because Hemingway just did his own thing. And with a book like this, I can't help but sit there and go, he's just telling me what life is like. It's almost like the different regions of America. You are letting me into your section of the country. Yeah, I mean, good. Well, I'm glad it, it felt that way. I, it, it's something that you know. Look, you have to be careful. I mean, I, 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 it was, it was. I wouldn't say it was easy to write, but it was. It came easily, and uh, I didn't overthink a lot of stuff. It just, it was, it, it was just literally what I was sort of uh, feeling. It wasn't. I, I, I it, 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 it was. I don't know it came very naturally, and I had to describe it. You know, there wasn't a lot of uh, strategy. I just, uh, I just, I, I just wrote what I wanted to write. The chapter that hooked me immediately is when you were talking about your first love at eight years old. Are you like me, dude? And and to this day, I still see your eyes, I still hear her voice, and and you often wonder if your paths will ever meet again. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I'm sure, although I think, I don't think we should meet again because we'd probably both be horrified at what the other one looks like at this point. But, it's, uh, but uh, yeah, no, no, it is something. I think you always carry that around with you. When, when you write a book like this and, and it deals with stories of detachment and isolation, do you feel like you're bearing your soul a little bit here to, it's like, okay, is this, is this really the freedom or, or am I just taking a chance in life because authors are basically, we're, we're like trapeze artists. Yeah, I mean, well, I think you just have to be, you know, as honest as possible, and that's not always, you know, um, sometimes that's 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 hard to do. I, I did have to, I had to be careful, because I was writing a lot about family stuff, and there are certain things that I just could not cross the line and talk about, I, and, and uh, so I, that was kind of a hard line to uh, walk at times, but it, 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 I still, you know, I think uh, for a while there were some family members and some... Uh, some other people that were uh, not thrilled with, <laughs> with how they were, they were portrayed, even though, I, you know, I changed everyone's names and everything, but it wasn't enough because, like, they knew that's me. And so, you know, that was touch and go for a while. And yet your book brought so much peace to me because in the past couple of weeks, I didn't go home to my Montana to my family's to my father's funeral because of family. And I and, and, and here I am reading about your five brothers and, and their stories and journeys. And I felt like that th- this guy, if I could sit down and talk to him, he would understand that. that I'm not such an evil person, and 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 family is just eh, sometimes. Oh, no, that's a, that's very interesting. So that, that, what you just told me about yourself, but yeah, that's uh, that makes me in a way feel a little better about myself because I can I can see uh, I can see doing something like that. Yeah, it's just it's it's. But then you all you know, it, it's funny because then you know you have friends that seem to have really good families and everyone gets along. But then I, I don't know, you know, I always find that interesting. Siblings that get along because I certainly didn't experience that, and it's uh, it's. Uh, 
I don't know. Some people, apparently, it's it was a good experience, you know, with their siblings, and others it wasn't. Uh, it's all I don't I don't know what the how it stacks up ratio wise. But do you ever, as as that writer though, do you, and you know how we get sometimes with our creative words where it kind of slips out our tongue that we'll sit there and we'll go, look, hey, this is too peaceful. I need to spark up some action. So you go start something in a little group, and all of a sudden it's like playing the telephone game. It gets around the room real fast. Oh, you mean like with my brothers or something? Oh, with, with even France. I like sparking stuff up even with France, just just to get the party moving. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't like to spark up anything. I just like to be I like to be alone in a room with a door closed. So you're, you're perfect for radio then, dude, because that's what happens yeah, in this room. <laughs> that's right. It's a, You know, you're probably right. That's true, yeah. It's just a nice, cozy room that you're in there, and it's... Uh, Right, the walls are padded, and it's really, yeah, that sounds great. Your, your honesty about going to school, you're absolutely right. It was like a prison sentence, and yet when you're, when you're called into these business meetings, it's like, God, what's worse, being back in school or being in this meeting? I know, isn't that interesting? Yeah, I know. It's uh, well to me. I, I don't think there could be anything as bad as school. That was that was absolutely just uh, the most awful time of my life because it just felt just I just didn't want to be there and to be. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I can never. When they, I know that, that some people get. Oh, if I was only young again. I never want to be that age again, ever. Yeah, because it was torture. It's almost like, like when I was sixteen, it could drive. That was the beginning of freedom for me. And when I was eighteen, <laughs> finally, it was free. That was when I. I, I was I was out of prison. So what's your reasons for not liking Sundays? Because I can't despise them. I'm not even going to go to sleep because I just can't stand Mondays. Yeah, that's part of it. Sundays to me, um, I, that's interesting. I didn't, know it was, I didn't even remember mentioning that in the book, or but it's true. Yeah, I guess I, I did. But uh, yeah, no, um, Sundays are... Um, just it was that goes back to school. Things school, you know, school starts again tomorrow. I have all this stuff that I was supposed to do that I didn't do, and uh, and you know the, the pressure of that, and and uh, so Sundays to this day just are are, are uh, grim days for me. So I'll sit there and I'll ask my wife, okay, are we going anywhere? Because I think it's time to break out the wine because I, I I need yeah, to right. escape right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Sundays I would just like to be anesthetized or something through the day. And just, you know, once I get to Monday morning, I'm kind of okay. Then I can sort of, you know, get off the mat and, and do what I have to do. But the, but Sundays can be paralyzing. I'm, I'm shocked that in this digital platform age that you have not turned every one of these into an actual picture. Like, like the old days of radio where you could act out every scene with characters and stuff where people just live vicariously through your words. Um, yeah, I mean, some people have asked me about that. I, I just, you know, this is one of those examples where I just, I, I can't. You're talking about adapting it into something? Or? Yeah, just because every every one of these, this could be like a weekly sitcom on TV. I mean, it's every chapter I went into was like, oh, my God, what are we going to do this time? And, and I kept waiting for the commercials, but there were no commercials in your words. Yeah. Well, um, no, I mean, you know, if, there, if, if it could be executed perfectly, you know, and which is, I think, nearly impossible, just perfectly cast. And I don't think it, it couldn't be a network show because it would have to be, I wouldn't want it to be sanitized at all or sugar-coated, right. and I wouldn't want it to be sitcom-y. I suppose there could be something, but um, I never, you know, I, it, that never occurred to me in writing the book. I just wanted it to be a book. And in fact, it was, uh, it was a huge weight off my shoulders to think, oh, this is 
not going to go to a producer who then, you know, sends it around and then you think about casting and then you try to find a director. That's that's where everything falls apart. <laughs> now, now, being that writer and still being connected to that real person, that little artist inside of you, did was it easy to have that little bit of a separation be- between church and state or does that person inside you still? Because my, my writer doesn't like the real person. It's like they, they'll cuss each other out. Uh, what do you mean? Just like, in other words, like, do you hard to write about uh, yourself? Or, yeah, to, to, uh, put it, to put it out there now, because all that stuff's been inside you. But no, no, it's out there. There's some dude in Charlotte, North Carolina, just read about you, man. <laughs> yeah, that could be. Yeah, I, I tried not to think about that uh, either, but it was just like, you know, it, it's, it's uh, I guess the fact that it's written uh, humorously, but although I don't think comedically, I just think I'm naturally maybe kind of uh, a character a little bit. So I think that helps. It goes, it, it makes it go down a little easier. But, but uh, no, I, I just say it's one of those things where just you have to, you have to be yourself, or else you're not writing it the right way. So you can't, if you're going to write about yourself, you got to be honest, and uh, and uh, so that's that's what I tried to do. But even in the, I, I couldn't have, I couldn't have done it any other way. And it was just, it was just, an, it wasn't a choice. It was just instinctive. In this style of writing, it so opens up the door for you to create this next big novel. Do, I mean, it's. Do you feel that coming on yet, or is that something? That that it's like okay when it hits I'll be ready for it. Well, I, there's possibly a novel. I think the next book I write I would like just to be a collection of uh, short fiction. That 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 really excites me, and I've been working on some stories here and there. So that's totally that. Twitter generation, dude. That's awesome. That's exactly what you need to be doing. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I guess. I never know. I'm I'm my own worst enemy. I'm not real good at uh, making uh, the right decisions for myself, so we'll see. (laughs) I love it. Adam, man, I do like the book. It's very relatable, and it's one of those books where where you you can't put it down because it's it's a journey is what it is, and you can't wait to find out what you're actually going through. And the thing is, is that you really went through it. That's what makes it fun. Yeah, yeah, I guess so, yeah. I, I don't know. If, yeah, I know. Fun for the... Yeah, that's the thing. It's fun for the reader. It was torture for me. <laughs> for some sounds from Kings of Pain, and then when we come back, we'll be unplugged and totally uncut with Adam Thorne and Rob Caveman Oliva. Are you ready to do this? Wanna, I just want to get yeah. it over with. It's just surreal that there's a 16 foot python in here and I'm going to let it bite my arm. Oh man. All right. The damage this snake can inflict is massive. You ready? Yeah. If this thing latches on, it's going to get very serious very quickly. Oh, the head's out. That's a big head. The best outcome is big puncture wounds in our arm that bleed a lot. Worst case scenario, we can die. Whoa. All right. He's ready to go. Yep. He's looking at me. He's looking at me. And good morning, you two. How are you doing? Good morning. How are you? Good, thanks, man. Man, I'll tell you what. Kings of Pain, you guys are up close and personal with some of the most dangerous animals and insects on the planet. Where do you get your courage and confidence? <laughs> well, <laughs> done, uh, yeah, there's no confidence there. <laughs> 
Not at all. We're, we're, no, it's, 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 it's something I couldn't imagine I mean, doing alone. We could be pretty confident until you save the animal. I, I would love to be in a meeting with you guys when you sit back and you say, hey, today we're going to take on the copperhead snake in North Carolina, because they say that that thing's got a good bite to it. Okay, those things do. They don't normally kill people. Uh, it's actually extremely rare, but you wouldn't want to get bitten by one. And, and that's the type of stuff we talk about in those meetings. We're like, how bad is this thing going to be really? It's a, it's a weird discussion to be having in the meeting. When you do talk about the one with the deadly bite, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of insects out there that are so blended into the environment. How, how do you guys know how to hunt one of those little monkeys down? For instance, like, like the, the, the recluse spider, the brown recluse spider. Well, there, there are a lot, a lot of myths, you know, about people dropping dead from some of these animals. But um, we, we'll never do an animal that would just outright kill us, but... You know, we could have an allergic reaction to any of their venom, and that would be fatal. So there is a definite risk involved. But you know, a lot of the animals that we like, for example, the brown, rec- for example, the brown recluse, um, it would it sucks to get bitten by it, but deaths are actually very rare. One one of the one of the uh, little insects that you they put a lot of focus on in this this season of kings of pain, the Asian centipede. I I've always thought of the centipede as being a peaceful animal or a peaceful insect. Oh, so it's, it, we thought it was pretty peaceful as well. <laughs> we thought um, you know this could be like a feasting, maybe a little worse. Guess what? That's why we're doing this pain index because you know six hours later throwing up on myself, I realized that we were wrong about it. <laughs> it's actually quite potent. So then show prep, I mean, because in radio, we don't go into anything unless we've show prepped everything. I can't imagine the kind of show prep that you and the research that you guys have got to do before you even take off on a journey. Oh, there is a lot of research, a lot. Um, the planning, you know, months in advance. Um, but, you know, you can never plan for what you're going to experience. That's the only thing that isn't planned is pretty much what happens after the bite. It's You know, you work with animals. It can be very unpredictable no matter how much planning and safety is involved. Is there one bite that hurts worse than the other one? Forget about the venom. I want to know if the bite hurts. Oh, yeah, yeah. Some of them, even before the venom kicks in, what if it, the tarantula, you feel every single... Like they don't just bite once. They they walk their fangs through your skin. And so you feel it every time. You can, you can feel it pop through your skin. Oh, God. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, what, I, I used to have a nine-foot bow constrictor, and when it would bite me, you know, you felt that immediately. But then I learned that you guys are putting some focus on a python. I thought bow constrictors and pythons were pretty much one and the same. They, have, they, they, they all have lots of teeth. Um, and, you know, the bigger the python, the bigger the teeth, and the, or the bigger the snake, but bigger the teeth in a lot of cases. So we got bitten by a 16-foot reticulated python, and the teeth were massive. And when a bit... When a bit, you could like feel your skin unzipping when it was just like opening the the flesh up. So yeah, that one hurt. <laughs> one one of the things that I'm that I'm learning about Kings of Pain is that you guys are actually doing this to help teach people so that we can become more educational with these animals that are in the wild. Yeah, well, we got we got two goals with that, and the first goal is, you know, if someone gets bitten or stung and then panics. Obviously, that's going to make it way worse. And we've seen people do some crazy stuff, like you mentioned a copperhead. Not 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 a particularly dangerous snake as far as venomous snakes go in North America, but it does have a venom that affects your uh, your ability to, to put your blood to clot. And so the old school knowledge, you probably heard this, cut a big X over the bite wound and suck the venom out. 
and you just you just did a big cut on yourself when you have a venom in your body that prevents it from clotting. I mean, there's so much bad information out there. We're going to help, you know, hopefully help people with that. Are you going to take it up to the next level by way of also creating podcasts and doing things on, on your internet pages? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, I mean, you know, we're going to be more active on our great Adam. No, I mean, hopefully yeah. we can you know, extend it to lots of platforms. You know, the more the better. Yeah, I mean, we're on we're on Instagram. If you want to follow Caveman Rob and Adam underscore Thorn, we put so much animal stuff up there. Like, and it's not just getting bitten and stung by stuff. We get up close and personal with all kinds of predators, snakes, anything you can imagine. One of the, one of the things you hear a lot about during the summer months and even the spring months are you know bee stings and people are allergic to those. But you guys are putting focus on the wasp. The, the wasp. Shouldn't we be saving the wasp as well? Yeah. Well, we we do a lot of species of wasps, but you know, funnily enough. Out of all the animals we've done, the bee is probably the most deadly because people, more people have died from bee stings than any of the animals we've done just from allergic reaction. But the wasps, because there's so many species and they're stings vary so much, we end up putting a lot of wasps on the list and, you know, a lot of them are so brutal. I mean, the tarantula wasp is like the size of a bloody bird and that one is extremely painful and they're very common around, around you know, North America. The show we're talking about is Kings of Pain. All right, the big question, do you have any permanent damage from any of the bites? Oh, yes. Yeah. If you continue to the end yeah. of the season, you will see something very, very bad happen to me. It's a dangerous job. We knew that going in. We talked to so many biologists, our own experience. We had an insanely good medical team, uh, Venom 1 and Venom 2 with Dr. Ben Abo and Jason down in Florida. These guys know so much, but they told us there's no guarantees. And you'll see what happened to me in the last episode. So it is a dangerous job, but we learned a lot. I think it was worth it. Through you guys, we are learning a lot, and we will also become more aware of what's really going on out there. Please come back to the show anytime in the future, you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Be brilliant today.